Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Straight From The Hot Tap. In this episode we introduce a new segment, Lose Reviews, where a friend of the podcast trawls the dark recesses of the internet to find out what people are saying about us, with less than predictable results. Johnny traces his love of cricket back to Taunton, Matt lays out his case for the banishing of World War II to the annals of history, and I recount the tale of the Dunster Show dog race. Oh, and Josh still hasn't seen The Wire. We hope you enjoy it. Please like, share and leave us a comment if you do. If not, well then you can always turn it off and go back to sharing Covid conspiracy theories on Telegram. I'm Matt. I'm Johnny. I am Josh. And I'm Matt. And this this is Straight straight from the Hot Set. There's one big question that I've got. I've got for you, Josh. You know, obviously, you you know, you work in um, an environment where public profile is pretty important, and so on. But the one big question I've got for you is: Have you watched The Wire yet? (laughs) Omar, keep asking me. Keep asking me, and one day there'll be a new answer. That would be grounds for 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 like definitely a rant for me being bullied to watch The Wire. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, it's like it's one of those like legitimately acceptable ways in 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 very middle class English society that you can directly hassle someone like like it's completely it's completely off limits to like berate or hassle someone. However. It is socially acceptable, what? whether it be at like a pub or a dinner party or like a gathering. If someone goes, I haven't seen the wire. It's absolutely acceptable. I lent I lent our, our family box set to our neighbour a few weeks ago, and you know the sense of fulfilment and um, good charity that I had done in doing that has just kept me going through this whole lockdown. Well, that turned to a, a bitter, namely dispute when. One, he doesn't return them, or two, that he returns. Well, them. Or, or, or worse, when he says, and he gives them back and says, "Yeah, it was okay." <laughs> <laughs> the comment that pisses off all wire fans is the following: right, if you want to see like a mild-mannered, nice person who lent you the wire box set turn into a fucking raging twenty-eight <laughs> days later zombie that like like comes at you like with teeth bared and like goes out of their mind, right? All you have to say is the following line. I liked it, but I couldn't really get through the first season. <laughs> or when they said, yeah, it was it was good, but I prefer suits. <laughs> well, anyway, moving swiftly on. Lou, welcome to Straight From The Hot Tap. Lou, are you, are you already regretting this? Um... <laughs> you know, afterwards. What, what do you know about Taunton? Do you, do you have a, like a deep knowledge of Taunton? Well, I'm actually from Taunton. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Never been. Hey, hey Johnny. Uh, actually, Lou and I had a very amusing conversation not that long ago about the um, the horizontal vagina. <laughs> <laughs> we're going straight. We're going straight now. We're going straight into the vagina. I mean the. Yeah. Uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> we're going headlong into a horizontal vagina um so th- this pop th- yeah this conversation proved proved to be challenging f- for you Luke. had too many questions too many questions uh couldn't really get it out of my head and i was like revisiting it as a thought you know over the the week after the conversation going, but how no but that's that can't be right it's a it's a very good um golf golf tip that's all i can say about it don't ask me how it works it just concentrates the mind so matt just to fill you in when, when, when we were playing golf um a couple, was it last year no year before wasn't it yeah uh, so this golf course is really quite challenging and one of the one of the key challenges in golf is to try and keep your head together particularly when you've been on the piss for three days and um, jo- Johnny played a particularly good round of golf. Um, and um, a- afterwards, we were just sort of asking him, you know, why? how did you manage to keep your head together for 18 holes with a massive hangover? And um, the answer was because I was just thinking about a horizontal vagina. No way. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. And, and the concept of this just, just, just like played around in his mind for, for four hours of golf, which just obviously made us laugh. You've blown my complete future business plan, there, Matt. Because by making that public, you know that was my that was going to be my my um, my new product introduction for golf for, for struggling golfers. 
how are you going to bring it to him? Are you going to bring, I don't know, like a, a hat in the shape of a horizontal vagina? Or... There's going to be a whole range of merchandise. Is um, it? Yeah. Um, lots Great, of hats so... and body, body suits. Do you know what? I've never played golf in my life. Have you not? No, never. I don't think golf's your sport, Matt, if I'm honest. I think you stick to shooting. I think You guys should you come know. shooting with me. But, but Matt, Matt, here's, a, here's, like a, here's an interesting experiment. Next time you're shooting, yeah. try to think of a horizontal vagina. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Imagine yeah. emptying a twelve gauge into a horizontal vagina. I'm too busy um, struggling with my forty millimeter tip caseless ammunition to think about anything like that. <laughs> Hollow points for the snitches. <laughs> I'm too busy lining up on my target, um, <laughs> on my ISIS member target, to think about. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so we've been we've been live now for a couple of weeks, and um, we're up to we're up to nearly a hundred listens now. That's amazing. To be honest, it's almost like it's it's almost viral. We're right on the cusp of of it going astronomical. I think. I think all it's mm. going to take now is one one little nudge. So that's really cool. So you know uh, that that sort of that, put it this way. There's lots of podcasts on uh, on the site that that have um, been going a lot longer than we have, and are getting like mm. no, next to nothing. You know the, the the inevitable comments from the general public and the suggestions from people about how to how to improve it or so on. Um, yeah. So I've asked I've asked Lou to come in today, and you know she spent a bit of time this week going through the various different sources of reviews and so on to make sure that we're getting the kind of press that. That we, that we think we deserve based on the uh, the work that we've put in. Um, so, so yeah, Lee. So o- over to you. I understand that you've you've picked out a couple this week. Um, well, uh, just I'd like to start with this first one, which is a little bit concerning, actually. It's uh, from the Reverend Toby Osmond from um, the Church of St Mary Magdalene in Taunton, and he's reached out to say, um, although everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, however, suggesting that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross um, as an act of uh, self-promotion is frankly absurd. And he also suggests that she dig deep and sponsor Maureen's upcoming cake bake for the church roof fundraiser <laughs> as a way to repent for your sinful comments about our Lord Jesus Christ. J- Johnny, what have you got to say about that? Um, fuck that. <laughs> Uh, uh, Matt, you, you know you're you're known for your generosity when it comes to fundraisers. Do you think you can spare a few quid for Maureen? I won't be giving any money to anybody. <laughs> don't look at don't look to me for charity. You're talk, you're mistaking me for someone who cares. <laughs> well, this next review is um is quite interesting. It's actually come from um, Nigel from the Cat Protection Society oh God. of Taunton and Wellington, <laughs> and he's commented that um, I have serious uh, concerns regarding the content of your so-called podcast, with specific <laughs> reference to a cat called Dennis, zipper <laughs> and spanking. And we at the Cat Protection Society feel deeply and acutely upset about this matter and have had no other choice uh, than to inform the relevant authorities. There, there are too many cats out there, let's be honest. I think we should take note for the Prisians in 1860. They had a, they had, they had a famous cat massacre where the bakers of Paris in, in 1860... Uh, they they thought that there was some some problems with the spread of um, some kind of illness via cats, so they instigated the Great Prison Cat Massacre. So, oh, you know, I think maybe that should uh, be brought to Taunton. But I'm confident in my case that this ended up in a court of law. That the, the, the amount of bad behaviour that I had to put up with from Dennis, that a spanking was probably a fair and just punishment. I would say. But um, I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe we should give cats a, a rest from now on, and I don't know. Move move on to to other animals or some sort. I don't know. Seems a bit of cat content at the moment. Actually, I've got a, I've got a, an amusing story about dogs from Taunton. Do you remember John Charland? Oh my god! But no, he, he yeah he he had a, a sort of a, a puppy. Um, well, it was more of a a, a a young adolescent dog, I suppose. I don't know what you call a a puppy that's not, not quite a dog yet. But anyway, uh, it was this English pointer thing. And um, we went to this, this place called Dunster in Somerset. Have you ever been to Dunster? Is there a castle? Yeah, it's really nice. It's a really nice little t- little town in, in just outside of Taunton. It's up towards Minehead, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Check, check this out, right? I tried to go there when I was last in England last year 
And I was denied admittance. You were denied, denied admittance to Dunster? I was not allowed to enter Dunster Castle. Did they sort of draw, bring up the drawbridge? Because, because, <laughs> because there was, they said there's been some high winds and a tree fell down, and so it's oh, not no. safe. So they were evacuating the castle for safety reasons. So I love the fact that the castle stood for like 500 years. Uh, seriously, that's what I said to this, to this like woman. In charge. I just said, like, don't you think that's kind of a, an insult to the builders of the castle? Because <laughs> like, they built it out of a, sen- out of a sense of you know, providing security. Like, I don't think that like, if like a French armada was looming on the horizon, they'd close it for safety reasons. I think that that would actually defeat the point of having a castle. You know, I think they're more likely to expand operations, you know. Do you know what I mean? They wouldn't close it because a fucking tree fell down. And anyway, we had a big argument. Did they let you in? You're banned for life. It was one of those real, like, British computer says no moments. Oh, no. That really, honestly, after not living there for 20 years, it really, like, whenever I encounter it, it makes me go to 11 on the spot. It's got worse. It's got worse, by the way. Oh, my God. I mean, like, every single... That, that's one of the reasons I'm so angry about with BT, because yeah. everything, every, every channel of communication, ironically enough, is a, commu- a computer says no moment. Really? You can actually get through to someone who is able to say computer says no. So it's like... <laughs> really? It, I mean, but then I, I find that any interaction with most companies these days is the same. And now, obviously, uh, as you say, it could be the case with most castles up and down the country. Mm. Really? Yeah, mate, it's awful. That's Very bad. Uh, it's like they have the power of authority to go no, and they like it's it's like the defining moment of their life, right? Yeah. And so, and so, and and I mean, I didn't like it before, but now I react against it so hard, right? <laughs> And um, because it's like, I don't like the idea that anyone's restricting my freedom. But Matt, is this now, so basically, if you took Dunster Castle now and placed it in, let's say... I'm in in LA right now. Okay, all right, we'll place it there. But now that we know that you're kind of armed to the teeth, (laughs) if you you turned up at a a Dunster Castle equivalent in in America and they denied you entry and sort of insulted your, your freedom, would you attack? Well, to be fair, I, th- I think I think the incident at Dunster might well have started um, at the you know th- this whole progression towards health and safety might th- th- this this conveyor belt may have started on the, on this day I was there with John Charlin back in, in 1992, whenever it was. So so yeah, so we went to this. It was a, it was the Dunster Country Show in in the summer. Um, you guys must have been to country shows. They're, they're good fun, you know. You go and there's people. People show their horses, and people sell chutneys, and the, the, the white helmet motorcycle brigade are always there, and all the rest of it. Um, anyway, we took we took this dog. So it's a fairly young, very very boisterous pointer. We took this dog um, to to the show, and um, J- John's parents uh, basically said, "Look, go go and explore the show, but whatever you do, don't let the dog off the lead," because there was people everywhere dogs everywhere it was all a bit yeah all very busy and it was also a very hot day as well so so yeah so we, we kind of thought yeah no no worries we'll, we'll, we'll be good anyway we, we kind of wandering around and we came across um this this guy that was standing on a, on a couple of hay bales that you know resplendent in tweed um promoting th- through this loud hailer um a dog race and it, it was qu- it was quite amusing because it was basically bring your own dog and race it. So they had this 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 sort of dog race, sort of hundred meter sprint thing, um, lined with with hay bales, and people sat on these bales having their having their picnics and so on. And you could literally just take a dog and enter it into this dog race. And there, there was this guy taking bets on which dog would win. Anyway, so there was all these dogs lined up. So we had this pointer, and there was, you know, an, an old English sheepdog, and a, and a, you know, and a, and a, and a Doberman, and a couple of terriers, and you know, a couple of retrievers, and all the rest of it, and and, and also a greyhound. So of course, everyone, <laughs> everyone bet on the greyhound, and you can see this 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 sort of bookmaker who was collecting for the local hospice or something, getting increasingly paranoid that his plan of raising some money was about to backfire spectacularly. Um, anyway, so you can imagine the chaos. I've got these sort of random dogs lined up on, on the starting line. And um, 
Well, let me ask you a question. Right? How, if you were to start a dog race, how would you do it? I don't know, with a gun? Well, there you go. That's probably the, the, the way you really shouldn't start a dog race, is with a gun. And this is what the guy did. So he basically got all the dogs on the line. You can imagine all the yapping and barking and, and general tail wagging that was going on. And then this guy appeared with a shotgun. Even better than this, they got um, some local farm boy on a battered old mountain bike with a, a little toy rabbit tied on the back with a piece of baling twine. And that was the idea. So they get the get the bunny being towed by this bike. And so, so, so the guy said go, and this guy shot off on his on his bike. But you can imagine riding a a, a battered mountain bike on very very deep grass on very uneven ground as well. It wasn't he wasn't going very fast, put it that way. And the next the next thing, this guy sets these dogs off with a shotgun. <laughs> and you can if you can imagine an explosion of dogs. This is what happened. Basically, dogs were everywhere. Literally, the, the, these dogs went absolutely bananas. There was dogs just flying left, right, and centre. The funniest thing I've ever seen in my life is this family having a picnic on these hay bales, and this golden retriever, in sheer panic at the explosion, just took out this woman just midway through a cream tea. You know, just she just, she just got hit in the face by a retriever. So all these dogs just absolutely <laughs> scarfed. Meanwhile, this this farmhand is pedalling like mad, trying to get. Trying to get some distance between him and the and the chasing pack of dogs that haven't been scared shitless by the by the shotgun. And and needless to say the the greyhound got the march on him and he caught this rabbit on the back of this baling twine. And and of course the guy the, the guy stopped dead on his bike. He went absolutely flying over the handlebars. <laughs> his bike stopped dead and just face planted straight into the grass, literally, like straight in, face first. Um, and just didn't just didn't really move because it all happened so fast. So I mean, obviously, there's absolute chaos. People trying to catch their dogs, you know, people trying to retrieve their picnics. You know, there's, there's, some girl had dropped her ice cream and was screaming her head off and all the rest of it. Um, so then, then the St. John's ambulance people came to came to sort of rescue the farm boy, and he, he remember he just came out of the ground and he just had a mouthful of grass. He just hit the ground that fast. Meanwhile, the dog that we had, this pointer. Started humping him. It's no <laughs> literally been bent over, being tended to by St. John's Ambulance. And then next thing, this dog just mounts him and starts humping him in front of about 100 people. So, yeah, that's that's why you shouldn't start a dog race with a shotgun. And so oh, wow. probably why Dunster Castle is a little bit more health and safety conscious than it that perhaps used amazing. to be. That's it was amazing. one of the funniest things I've ever But it was absolutely mayhem because we just couldn't catch the dog after this. Like, literally, we just couldn't catch him. Every time he got anywhere near him, he just ran off again. And it was, like, seriously panicking because I just didn't know how we were ever going to get him back again. But, yeah, so, Lou, go back to the review. So, what else? Is there anything else you picked up? Um, the first one's quite positive, actually. Um, it's from Jeremy, Deborah and Sarah from Oggy Oggy Pasties in Taunton. They're very pleased that they got a mention in, in one of your podcasts. And happily can report a three percent upturn in pasty sales as a result brilliant so they'd like to offer you first sponsorship deal um three pasties up to a maximum of two each um on your next visit to taunton wow do they do delivery i suspect not <laughs> i quite like to see a pasty on the back of a, a little scooter heading up the m6 on a wet february day <laughs> We need to stop there on the way down to Devon next time we're there. The last review um, for this week is from an, an anonymous contributor who said, um, mildly amusing, um, it's good to be able to finally put a voice to the face of spec savers. There you go, Josh. There you go. Josh, Taunton Matters. Well, guys, I have to say, I've been doing a bit of Taunton Matters on the fly today. Um, but um, there's some interesting news, as always, coming out of Taunton. Um, quite kind of left fields, but pretty kind of interesting um, development is there is. So there's a famous, um, a famous gay pub from London from the 1970s and 80s is going to be revived in Taunton. So listen to this, right? The, there was a pub in in the Earl's Court area called the Colhern, uh, the Colhern, um, and it was a, a popular uh, gay pub in the seventies and eighties, and it eventually closed. 
However, a guy, a, well, a Taunton resident who used to DJ there is planning to revive the, the venue in the heart of Taunton Town Centre. So, you know, that's quite an interesting development. It's, do, do you guys, it's, it's, the old venue is called the, the Apple. Do you guys remember a pub in Taunton called the Apple and Parrot? I saw this on Facebook and um, it was, um, the, the Apple and Parrot was what they renamed the Moat House. No way. Really? Oh, yeah, that's um, one of our ex-colleagues from school posted it on uh, oh, wow. Facebook because he's 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 gay, and so he put it as like a, a like a he denounced it. Um, and yeah, so I saw the article there, and um, yeah, it's going to be the moat house. That's where I had my very first fight. The the moat house. <laughs> really? Did you? Did yeah, you? I did. With who? Just some random. What happened? So it's a pretty sad, sad story to be honest. It, it, it's not, it's not really amusing in any way. Um, well, I suppose it would have been had you been there and watched, watched it. Um, but no, I was, I was in the, it was in the pub. It was, it was like a, a Sunday night or something like that. It was a really quiet evening. And you, um, how old were you? Like fourteen or something? Seventeen. Yeah, yeah, probably seventeen. Yeah, um, and I was with, you know, with my then girlfriends and a couple of others. And um, I remember there was a. There was a couple of guys in there. They were they were drinking beer out of Stein glasses, these big glasses, hmm. and and I remember like seeing them drinking these massive, great, you know, double pints and laughing, um, and that was all it took for, to, to 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 get some 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 guy a bit fired up, um, and he he started sort of threatening me in 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 the pub and followed me to the toilets and all the rest of it. Was it ginger profiling? I think it probably was. Yeah, some sort of anti ginger rage. Yeah, he just started swinging at me when we when we left the pub. And, really? Um, yeah, and yeah, I kind of ducked and weed a little bit, um, and uh, in the end, some bouncers sort of came over from another pub and yeah. sort of took this, sort of separated us both. But at this point, it was quite pathetic because like he'd been swinging punches and not connecting with any of them, and I'd been just ducking out the way. Basically, say take anything you want, just don't touch my face. And uh, yeah, then it all got diffused. And then, as I was kind of the bouncers let go, you know, took this guy and restrained him. And, and I, we, we sort of headed off into town. And the next thing that the bouncers let go of him, he just took a run up on me and just punched me in the back of the head. Oh, no. Yeah. Dude. yeah. And then, yeah, it was, um, yeah, and I'm literally, that's, I, it wasn't, you know, that's it wasn't a particularly, I've, I've had worse, worse punches over the years with my kids. Um, it wasn't particularly <laughs> serious, but you no, know, it probably shook me up actually, and and yeah, That's ever since that, well. I know. Ever, ever since that, my policy's been very much, you know, aggression first, worry about it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just so sort of shocked by the whole thing and panicked a little bit, and just sort of, I, I just like for ages afterwards, I just couldn't get over the fact that I didn't really do anything to defend myself, and I, it really got in my head. So now, really. Yeah, I really couldn't. Yeah, I, I took me ages to get over it. Actually, like the feeling of feeling like a like I'd just been a massive pussy. Um, but because, so, yeah. but you know, you're not supposed to react. You know that the best thing to do is not to react. Yeah. Because the minute I you know. start to react, then you create the fight situation. No, exactly. Yeah, you, you have no. to. You you actually have to not react at all, and they stop. This is true. Well, this is probably one of yeah. I mean, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but at the time, it was. Yeah, it, like at the time it all happened, it was all a bit of a blur, and then but afterwards, like psychologically, it really got in my head, really, like properly. Yeah, it did for ages. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to talk to Matthews. What else have you picked up, Josh? Well, I mean, I've got to say, you know, it, there's a there's a lot of stuff on this on this group, but there's actually there's not so much comedy value this week. But there is um, I, there's one story here about there's a guy who uh, who's posted up on online about all these things he. <laughs> He obviously found a kind of fly tipping spot and in the fly tipping sort of, you know, it, in among all the rubbish was, a, was it as the trolley, um, which, I mean, it was either going to end up there or, or at the bottom of the tone. So he's done, he's done. Okay. He's, been, he's posted just to say, it turns out you can fit a lot in a shopping trolley. There's a chair, there's a BMX, <laughs> a printer, um and other bits of plastic but it basically reminded me of the um of the trolley of death <laughs> oh god which, which um which oh which which we we, oh we had at we had at school i don't know if you guys remember this we would sort of <laughs> randomly 
sort of select some some poor person to be the occupant of the trolley of death. <laughs> and then they would get launched off the top of the step into the next room. And um, and it was just, you know, it was I don't know if it was the predecessor or the successor to the chair of death. What, what can you remember, Johnny? Remember the chair of death? That was pretty horrible. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. That was more funny. The chair was... of death was more funny. <laughs> anyway, I thought the theme of tonight would be what's has Taunton given us? I thought that'd be an interesting thing to look at. So I asked I asked a question to, to old friends and a couple of themes came up really. Um one of them we've covered already actually, which was learning how to fight, <laughs> which I thought was quite interesting. And another one was learning how to drink, obviously, and, and cider featured quite heavily. Um, but what about you guys? Matt, you know, I'm going to ask you first this. If you look back at you look back at your life, you know, what can you say with absolute certainty came from Taunton that has given you a given you something that you've taken forward into adulthood? If I ever have to take a big decision in my life, <laughs> um I, what i'll always do is i always put it through, through this prism i always go will this take me further away from taunton <laughs> and if the answer is yes then i do it <laughs> well, <laughs> so so give us an example of one recently matt where you put it that decision juncture oh they happen on a daily That's basis where- they happen on a daily basis. I mean, yeah. you know, or like, for example, I might be moving to Brazil next month. And when that idea came to me, I I obviously thought, will that take me further away from Taunton? And the answer is yes, it will. So <laughs> I did it, you know. <laughs> so there's many things. I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't want to p- paint Taunton in too harsh a light. I'm not really talking about the actual town when I'm saying this. I'm more talking about a state of mind, you know. That's um, that's a nice reference point to have, though, isn't it? It's no, it's know, a somebody... very useful reference point for me yeah. because I constantly think, like, you know, if I'm in a tough situation in life or a bad living situation or whatever, it really always can get worse. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, uh, Johnny? What has Taunton given you? Man, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to sort of pollute this podcast with the level of cynicism and, and harshness about Taunton, but so, so what I'm going to say is that Taunton has 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 given me a great appreciation of everywhere else in the rest of the world. Even <laughs> 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 oh, Paris, yeah, even Paris. I just feel like Taunton itself was so was so defined by our, by by our school. So you could say, I guess one thing you could say is like, I, I love cricket um, and I love the game of cricket. And I think like, and, and the more you realise having moved away from it, that actually that is something that is truly sort of endemic to, to Taunton and like going to the cricket ground. So I guess my serious answer on that is it's cricket. Do you know what? I was going to say exactly the same thing, Johnny. Were That's you? interesting. Were yes, you? I was. Yeah. Yeah. So I was brought up with cricket. It was obviously my dad was a cricket coach. Uh, and I remember one of some of my earliest memories are going to watch games um, where he was either a coach or playing. Yeah. Um, but the very first time I appreciated cricket as a, I guess, a professional sport was, was in Taunton. I remember going to watch a game. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't remember who was playing or anything like that. It's too long ago. But I just loved it. I loved the the atmosphere and I love the ground and I love watching the skill levels. I remember watching Andre Van Troost yeah. running in from you know, a 30 yard run and you know, bowling, you know, yeah. massive great beamers, a, a, a terrified batsman. And, you know, I remember playing at that ground myself and yeah, you know, you're right. It's given me that, that great love of, of the sport. 100% actually, you know, um, and similarly to Matt, I think, the negatives for me are that what I what I what, what I remember from Taunton. This is true of where I am now to some degree as well in, in crew. I, I I've always been quite fearful of standing still, either personally or professionally. How about you, Josh? I suppose from my perspective, and a bit like Johnny as well, and Matt, and well, all of us in a way. But we didn't sort of we weren't born and brought up in Taunton. 
but we ended up there and we sort of did have our formative years there. So for me, it's kind of, it's just the kind of geographical kind of frame of, of my childhood. And even now though, when someone says, where are you from? I mean, I always kind of, even though I was there from sort of age sort of seven to 18 and then no more, I feel like that's kind of what I say. I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Somerset. <laughs> I, I, and yeah. I grew up in, I don't necessarily from Taunton because I suppose I didn't live in Taunton. I didn't live in Taunton. No. But at the same time, it's still, it's kind of, so for me, it is that kind of familiar route. And in, in some ways I kind of, um, not necessarily for the town itself, but I do miss the, uh, yeah, that kind of familiarity of, of the kind of environment around it. So, Yeah. I suppose that's what it is. It still it still gives me a, there is a sort of nostalgia to it for me in a way like the, I think that fuels the kind of mm. it, it, it's especially now actually more than ever kind of an interest to live you know to live maybe in the countryside and stuff because it is yeah Somerset's a beautiful county. I think I I think of it as like this like um you know it, obviously like where you grow up plays a huge enormous role on who you are as a person and like I had so much experience there and like learned so much about life ironically what when I was there but it was for me it was because it was the environment of the school and it was like a growing environment I don't ha- I don't have any nostalgia whatsoever for like the place itself really and in fact when I went back last year I, I found it quite scary um I mean it's more that like I have this a very acute, like I had a very good foundation moment in life and I had this very rich moment of intellectual curiosity in particular, which I feel like as I've got older, like that intellectual curiosity has definitely waned a little bit, you know, and I, cause I'm now more comfortable with what I just think. And like back then, like, I think it was just this period of enormous growth in so many areas and that it just happened to happen there. And I think growth in like my ideas of what I wanted to do with my life and who I knew, met you guys, like the stuff I learned in school, I learned discipline. That like the one thing that I really noticed is that people who like people who went to our school or the schools like that, they just have so much discipline. And most people in life have no discipline, you know? I think that's an interesting point about curiosity. Actually, so one thing that I really I really notice when I you know meet meet people from different walks of life and so on is a lot of people lack that. And I think one thing that we've always done as a as a group of friends is you know we sat sat around a pub table and, and, and talked about some ridiculous things and made each other laugh. But we've also you know we've also challenged each other's thinking on stuff. We've also you know dare I say educated each other in some areas. We've we, we've challenged yeah the, the kind of normal thinking I, I really remember that from from classes at school was we weren't just spoon-fed lessons we were made to think for ourselves it wasn't a case of write this down and re- regurgitate it in an exam it was what do you think how do you how does that what does that mean to you and challenging each other and having I remember having arguments in class with with certain people because our views differed on things and like at the time that felt really uncomfortable but in hindsight it was massively important mm. you know to give yeah. us the start in life that i think we've, we we will benefit from yeah because yeah. Be- because if you think about it now i mean i actually think that we kind of lived in a moment that's sort of passed because i don't know about where you guys live there but like having any kind of debate with anybody now is a very unwise thing to do because it constantly ends in extreme anger and a very emotional response. I don't know whether it's just U.S. versus English society, but it's it's like I I I don't discuss things like politics or anything that I think that my listener is not going to agree with me. Like if I think that the listener is not going to agree, I just don't bring it up. I think that really struck me in the last election in this country was the idea of an echo chamber so i'm quite fortunate in a way because you know if i look at my you know social media friends and contacts i've got a real cross-section of people right from you know very very wealthy typically conservative people through to to, you know to people that are very very left-leaning you know socialist thinkers and so on and what i found really interesting was the idea of these, these echo chambers so that you know if you're right-wing thinking you surround yourself with right-wing thoughts and right-wing people and you just 
echo the same thinking over and over again and you and you see people put things on on their facebook profile saying you know if you're going to vote tory unfriend me now we can't be friends anymore this sort of stuff mm. um and the same was happening on the other side if you're going to vote you know for, for labor then unfriend me now it's like we, i don't want to have a, a, a kind of melting pot of friends and ideas in my life i want to have my ideas reinforced by people who share those ideas and i really think that that's bad i think that 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 has potential to to you know to kind of promote group think and and ultimately increase division rather than close those divides well we've seen that obviously in america i mean it's yeah it's just polarized and really toxic as a result but as a and you're totally right though i mean i watched i don't know if you guys have watched the social dilemma i know matt has um but it, oh, it, it deals yeah. really, really worth it because it deals with this. And also, it, social media is enormously responsible for supporting that echo chamber um, model, basically. So mm, essentially, yeah. if, you're, if, you're, if you're even slightly looking at a certain article on a certain, from a certain publication that might have a slight leaning to the left or the right mm. or a certain subject you're researching, it will just feed you and feed you and feed you with... With, and we kind of know this already, but the, the extent of it is positive. It's honestly, it's shocking. And these yeah. and the information on this uh, on, on on this do- documentary is coming from the people who created um, mm. who created this. And even they are saying they are not letting their. You know, most of them say that they don't even allow their kids to use social media. They they yeah. advise to come off all notifications from your Facebook and all these other things. Because mm. think about it on a more basic level. Your phone is designed to distract you. The, the the real art in this, and I think this is this is almost this is almost they they do sort of teach this a little bit in in schools to my children at seven and seven and nine, and they've started teaching it. And I, but I I think it's just so important is, is how you be discerning about how you consume media, and and I think particularly at the moment with lockdown, but you know even without that, it, it's so very difficult because. You know, if you think about when we were at school, you know, if you think about the news, there was only two newses. There was BBC News and then there was ITV News. And you kind of implicit and and, and then there was there was broadsheets and then there was tabloid newspapers. And 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 that was a that was really about it. Whereas now everything is 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 very heavily polarized. And if you if you sort of go into it on your own, you you. You, it's very hard, I think, as a young person to even perhaps be able to gauge gauge one against the other without uh, without mm. influencing the next thing you might be offered or pushed or or find yourself doing. Like if you go on Twitter, you just end up following the people that other people f- followed. And and I think back to what it was different for for us. And I think one of the one of the massive differences for us was and which doesn't exist so much now is and this is a bit antiquated thought is is the existence of trained librarians who, <laughs> who who will actually you know you could go to a you could go to a library and ask for just something that would make you think about this whether it's a school library or public library and they were experts in being able to guide you it's so difficult i think so much of it's based around personal validation isn't it i actually um I did this um, personality test the other day. So there's a, uh, you can actually do it online. I think there's um, it's the U S medical association test of, are you a narcissist? And so <laughs> here's the interesting thing. Social media, it's accepted now that social media has amplified anyone who has kind of narcissistic problems with their personality. And so I wanted to see if I was a narcissist, right? Having been accused of being one by someone a few weeks ago, <laughs> needless to say, a female, I decided <laughs> I decided to check out if it was actually true. And so... <laughs> and am I a misogynist as well? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did this test, and so I was diagnosed with mild narcissism. And so I was totally shocked. I was like, what? Oh my God, I was so disturbed. But then the person administering the test told me, most people score between 12 and uh, 15 or 16. You scored 14. So you're normal. Most people 
suffer from mild narcissism. And yes, it's been absolutely amplified by checking your phone all the time to see if people are liking your photos and stuff, right? If you score above 20, you're a clinical narcissist and you should seek help, right? But then you probably won't be taking the test in the first place, right? Because you think you don't need it. But what's interesting is people who score under 10 actually also have a problem and need help. Do they need like a new phone? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is the part of the show we call Matt's Rants. This is Matt's opportunity to share with the world all of the things that are grinding his gears at the moment. Don't you think it's time we stop talking about World War Two? <laughs> <laughs> on, on the day that Captain Tom died. Because of the day. Oh no. Like don't you don't you think we should just stop talking about it now? Like that's the th- this guy actually said the same thing as me. What well, why do you think we should stop talking about World War Two, Matt? Because it like it happened eighty years ago and it doesn't shape anything in our current world. And every single time I look at the internet or the news or anything, it's everything is framed by this like historical event that happened nearly I mean it's nearly eighty years ago now, isn't it? Sixty years ago. I mean it's a very long time ago. So, yeah, seventy-six years ago. Yeah, so it's like it's like why are we still looking? Because it's 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 become co-opted by all of these people with like really nefarious agendas now. You know. Yeah, and it, that's and a very good point. It's become this like it should what should be a celebration or like a remembrance or whatever, right? Which it which it was for years. It's just become co-opted by people for political goals, you know. And the whole thing is just like. Um, it's it's like why it's like why when we turn on the news now when i turn on anything to do with the british news right here's one thing do i have do I, are people still talking about the fucking battle of britain and shit like <laughs> please like because like it's so irrelevant today do, do you not think though matt that all countries have a have a challenge with their own nationalism it's very hard for the majority particularly western countries to to feel a sense of national pride so similarly to the thing that binds us four together which is our our schooling and you know and and our our education so on do you not think that as a country britain you know we don't have many things we can look back on with a great deal of pride and, and satisfaction but that's the one thing the one thing we've got that makes us feel good about life yeah. as well. Uh, how ironic that a slaughter of millions of people should be remembered as a feel-good event. <laughs> you know, um, we were the good guys. Every, everyone we killed deserved it. Look, all countries have their thing. Like you just said, it. Like you know, people in this country just endlessly reminisce about the 1950s. You know, um, because it was so good to, to live here, except that it wasn't. You know, if you were black or gay or or any anything other than white and prosperous, Japanese, you know, Japanese, for instance, you know, yeah, I to- I totally agree. I totally agree with what you're saying on that front. I mean, I really do because I think that's mm. completely the wrong the wrong spirit and all that kind of stuff. But also on a sort of, I mean, on a sort of historical level, it was it was a pretty seismic deal. Okay, and and I think that that probably takes a long time to dissipate because obviously mm. it shaped a lot of, you know, politically, geographically, everything. It shaped so much. That oh yeah. Do you actually deal with in the modern world? Oh yeah. Now. It, so, shaped, so, it shaped the whole modern world, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it did. And a lot of the fallout is actually still occurring there in the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah. But, but so, so it can't be sort of, sort of just, you know, not talked about. All I mean is that I think there's this probably, there's, this is probably every great event, good or bad, probably mostly bad, but in history probably has this kind of ripple effect that lasts until, yeah. until it no longer is relevant yeah, yeah, yeah. in the memory, in the minds and memories of people. And sadly, like, for example, I mean, the first world war has this, I suppose, link in a sense, in the sense that it was also against Germany and stuff. But I, I'd say that sort of reaching its, reaching its smallest ripples to carry on that analogy. And, and because no one is left alive from that. Yeah, so the, first, the problem with the First World War is the bad guy wasn't bad enough. That's the problem with the First World War. Hitler was such a cartoon villain. 
he was the you know he he was as bad as but if you were to kind of think of all the bad things a villain could do hitler's got them all in spades doesn't he whereas yeah kaiser wilhelm you know not great but nothing on the Führer. so johnny you obviously lived in australia for a bit so what, what what's their reference point for for their nationalism if you like well it's it's really interesting actually because the aussies are are even more you know, in terms of numbers and uh, number of deaths and the amount of the amount of financial commitment the Aussies made to the, to both world wars, it, mm. it's it's a, it's a it's a small fraction of of the other Allied forces. But actually, the ANZACs is is such a powerful um, mm. sort of like uniting force in in Australia. I mean, it's mm. it's 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 crazy. Like you know, we have a Remembrance Day in the UK. In, in in Australia, they have Anzac Day, and it's I mean like it, it's not like just rocking up at eleven o'clock and just uh, being signed for two minutes. Like it's a whole day. Like everyone yeah. will be everyone will be talking about um, Gallipoli and the diggers, and so they they really they really really uh, go in for it in a huge way. But there is something there is something a little bit purer in it, and I think where I agree with Matt's point. That, that you know when it's when when the stories are co-opted and and you know misused and and all the rhetoric is and and, and you know trivial issues are sort of coached in language related to wartime and fighting and and all this sort of stuff it's 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 just bollocks but including but really, covid and especially covid but but it, i mean i i think you, you can't totally you, what the aussies do really well is is i think is that is that the remember the remembrance element of it is quite is quite touching and that is important that is very i think that is that has in its purest sense of great importance the bit that's repellent in my in my opinion is just how some of the some of the murder and yeah you know genocide dis, dis, uh, displaced populations and just destroyed cultural artifacts all that is all that is glorified and it's a ultimately it's a war but it, but as you said, Matt, the, the thing is, it's such it's such rich material because you know it's it makes great stories. Like the baddies are really bad. I'm going to say the spread of COVID in the UK is directly linked to the Second World War, and I'll tell you why. Because we put a lot of emphasis as a, as a nation on our keep calm and carry on, our stiff upper lip, our we can go out there and you know defend our borders from the the, the unseen enemy and so on. And that's been the sort of rhetoric that's been used by the people that refuse to understand and buy by COVID regulations. Definitely. So all of the dickheads that, that that I know that have been posting all this, you know, we, the, the, 75 years ago, nobody stayed indoors because they were told to by the government. Yeah, but it was quite different dealing with, you know, bombers overhead to a, to a, to a, to an extremely virulent virus that's going through the population like nobody's business. If you if you accept that half half of politics is to is to spin a narrative and capture people's imaginations and not and like you know not just bore them with a, with boring facts but just to try and mm. try and rouse an emotional response, it's a powerful weapon. It's like the easiest type of politics to get people excited about something that's already happened. What we're saying is it's not necessarily um, time just to stop referencing. The, the war or remembering it in any particular way but it is it's definitely definitely time for like basically for politicians to start yeah. co-opting it and exactly it for their, that's what i mean sort of thick agendas i.e brexit covid everything else that i totally agree with yeah you know? and everyone's family probably on this podcast was in world war ii look i've got two war heroes in my family right so i don't want to disrespect them but at the same time um, like it, it, we need to just talk about the future. In in theory, if you know, if you can create a a sort of atmosphere, um, you, if you can if you can bend the will of the people by basically using language. You're not allowed to use that phrase. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, by, yeah, by using language to influence them, then yeah, surely you can find a a way to use it. Yeah to talk about the future and all the challenges you know we're talking you know the environment being one of the major 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 issues but it's completely i'd much rather the war was never talked about again if 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 all that energy was focused purely on saving the planet. just historically speaking like britain's golden age was um 
the Victorian era, right? That's the era yeah. when they were yeah. building the future. Yeah, and yeah. all they cared about in the Victorian age was the future. They absolutely had no interest in British history. Do you know that? It's really interesting. They had mm-hmm. no interest whatsoever in what had come before in the 18th or the 17th century or the 16th century. They just regarded it as a chaotic time. What they were interested in was the classical past, but only in ways that they could adapt it to the country's own future. So everything was about building, 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 and it became opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And that's how we created a country's golden age. Yeah, it must be interesting professionally for, for, for you, Johnny, because you know, in, in your line of work, surely a, a massive part of it must be innovation, harnessing technologies that may not be fully tested yet and things like that. Yeah, it, it is. But it, and, and in fact, working on a project now that is that is seen is, is extremely cutting edge. It's like a green a green hydrogen project. Mm. And it, it, if if and when it goes ahead, it, it will be like a, you know, a bit of a step change in, in the energy industry. So that so that which is really awesome. But but the, mm. in the actual day to day work and this is the this is the thing. Everything is um you know, a composite of pre-existing stuff or, or right. it's a small step out on pre-existing stuff. So it might be 5% bigger or you might, instead of putting one of them in, you put 10 of them in, but they're all the same thing. To sort of understand the sort of next step, next thing, you kind of, it's unavoidable that you you do look, look back and look at existing stuff. Like no one ever magics something up. Is it true, would you say, that the big inventions on on the whole have already sort of happened and there's very few like brand new inventions. All we're doing really is, continually refining what we already know or what we can already do yeah yes no but it, it, the main thing is the sc- scaling people have done nuclear nuclear fusion on on a micro level um and you know people now are talking about hydrogen fueled cars now that stuff's been around for that stuff's been around for for decades the principle of hydrogen electrolysis has been around for decades but it's only now that it becomes economically interesting to do it and you could do it on a potentially on a scale that is worthwhile and is more valuable to people's interests whether it's usually it's making money um, or (laughs) climate change or necessity then then you look at scaling up something that's already been invented and that that in itself is is a sort of new technically that is a new invention you're doing novel technology Well, that takes us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends about us and spread the word. This week's Taunton Business shout-out goes to Graham Hill, who is looking to open the Colherne Arms in Taunton. As Josh covered in Taunton Matters, bringing a famous LGBTQ plus venue to the Taunton area was brilliant. And although it couldn't be more challenging to set up a bar right now anywhere, and there is still a long way to go, we hope the venture is a massive success and look forward to visiting in the future. Good luck, Graham. As always, this Pad Thai of a podcast is brought to you by Moran's Restaurants in Westwood Ho in Devon. Frankie and her crew have adapted brilliantly to the pandemic by offering the best Thai takeaway in the area. Great job, Moran's, and we hope the restaurant is back open very soon. This was straight from the hot tap. <laughs>